T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's been way too long since we've been able to sit down with Illinois U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth, but she's a very busy official in extremely busy times in government and politics, and the senator's life is about to get even busier. So it's time to catch up. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. In a normal week, there would be a lot to discuss with Senator Tammy Duckworth. She's active and outspoken on many issues on Capitol Hill and here in Illinois. But she's only recently back from a trip to South Korea and Japan. And this week, she revealed she's about to make history again. This spring, she's expected to become the first sitting U.S. senator to give birth. And this will be her second child. Senator Duckworth is completing her first year in the U.S. Senate, or has completed, actually, her first year. She was a congresswoman before that. And we are running out of firsts when it comes to her. She was the first Asian-American woman elected to Congress from Illinois. She was the first member of Congress born in Thailand, uh, I believe the first disabled woman uh, elected to Congress. And this Wounded Warrior story is uh, well known, so I'm not going to repeat it this time, but I will say that we are recording this interview at the Chicago Military Academy in Bronzeville, where Senator Duckworth came to address the students. Senator Tammy Duckworth, it is good (laughs) to see you again. It's good to be here. It's been too long. Way too long. Well, uh, I've already hinted at two of the things Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about, but I want to start with something completely different, uh, and that's what's coming up this week. We are again heading toward... A budget showdown, but there seemed to be some movement again on DACA, the uh, Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals program. Uh, that's the one that allows young people brought here illegally when they were children to stay in essentially the only country they've ever known. Uh, Some immigrant advocates don't trust the Republican lawmakers and certainly not the president on any of this deal-making, but the president was saying that he had a plan to put so-called dreamers on the path to citizenship. Um, Senator Duckworth, what do you make of all of these moves? Well, I, too, don't have any trust in the Republican leadership. I don't trust the president's word. He has negotiated multiple times only to back off. Uh, we've gotten his word multiple times, at least as Senator Durbin and Senator Graham have, uh, uh, and Senator Schumer have, and and he's backed off after the meetings, and you know he, he gives his word, and then I guess he goes and talks to Steve Miller or, or his chief of staff, John Kelly, and then and then he changes his mind. So I don't have any trust in the president. I certainly don't have any trust in uh, Mitch McConnell or, or Paul Ryan. Where I am putting my trust, um, and it's why I voted to come out of uh, the government shutdown, is in the 12 moderate Republicans my colleagues who really do want to make a difference and who are really giving this uh, a really good effort. And I think together in a bipartisan way, we can come up with a solution. It's probably not going to be what the president proposes. Uh, In fact, what the president proposes is is pretty awful. Um, uh, And uh, so I think that those of us who are moderates especially can work together and come up with a deal and, and just, you know, put it forward ourselves. The key was to get the vote on the floor that we're going to get. Now, the Senate 
has always been more amenable to a deal on uh, comprehensive immigration mm -hmm. reform and on mm -hmm. DACA. The House has been a problem, and yes. there are more Republicans. Uh, you know, the margin is higher for the Republicans mm -hmm. in the House. Is there a deal that could be had that could also get the House to vote for it? I think that there is a deal that we could be had in the House. And I think we have two shots at a vote in the House. Um, we have one shot at a vote in the Senate, which we got as part of our deal to come out of sequestration. Uh, we're going to get a floor vote in the Senate, uh, an open process. We can actually put up Durbin Graham for a vote. And then that's very close to getting the 60 votes necessary. Uh, in the House, there's two ways to bring the bill to the floor. One is for Speaker Ryan to bring it to the floor and allow that to come up for a vote. So whatever we put out of the Senate, um, they could vote on that. And he may choose to do that, especially since the Durbin-Graham bill is more conservative than the version that they have uh, in the House right now that uh, uh, Congressman Hurd, who's a Republican, is, is leading. Uh, the other is this process called the discharge petition, which is to have all the Democrats uh, uh, sign a petition and then um, approximately, I think it's 30 Republicans signed to, to bring it out. And we have over 30 Republicans who say they would vote for the bill if it came up for the vote. Now we just have to put pressure on them to sign the discharge petition. And now um, let's talk about what kind of elements should and should not be in that, uh, mm -hmm. that bill. Uh, Congressman uh, Gutierrez, who has been perhaps uh, the country's leading voice uh, on immigration reform, called the, he said, $25 million in ransom for the Dreamers does not pass the laugh test. Um, it has seemed all along that President uh, Trump wouldn't go for anything that didn't have some money for a wall in it. Is that still the line that's drawn in the sand here? No, I well, you know, we, we uh, Senator Schumer offered the wall to the president. He accepted it um, for about two hours. And then uh, the reports say he went and spoke to Stephen Miller, who I think is the person making the, de the decisions here, and he backed off. And that was $18 billion. So it was less than the $25 billion that's coming out. So this new $25 billion number is coming from somewhere other than President Trump. It's coming from, you know, I think that the far-right uh, influence that sets over there in the White House. Um Look, I think that's ludicrous. Uh, I do support border security, and we can have lots of ways to have border security, uh, more helicopters, more personnel, more drones, all of that. Uh, I thought the president said he was going to get Mexico to pay for the wall anyway. <laughs> so I don't know yeah, that, why, why that, he's that, asking that, that for $25 billion. Uh, Yeah, Far back. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I intend to hold him to it. But look, I, I don't have a problem with more border security in exchange for a dream, uh, you know, a, a, a solution for the dreamers. Um, uh, I don't know that I would go with the $25 billion mark. But now let me ask you, though, because it has seemed all along that even when the Republicans and Democratic leadership was moving closer together, that there are still uh, some Democrats who don't want to see that much compromise or as much compromise in a package. Are you going to be able to hold the people on your side of the aisle together? Well, that is part of the challenge. Uh, I can speak to what's happening in the Senate, um, and that is the fact that uh, we have been a pretty united caucus in the Senate. We had some pretty uh, tough votes by moderate Democrats to shut down government. Um, and then we also had, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
many of our more progressive members, you know, uh, not be overly critical when we had to uh, open government. Um, but frankly, um, uh, the only way we're going to do this is if Democrats hold together, because um, in that we have strength and we have leverage to force the Republicans to come to the table. Because there's a lot of Republicans who need to vote for the DREAM Act themselves. Mm. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the budget itself. Uh, DACA aside, how close is Congress to a long-term budget agreement so that you're not doing these two- and three-week continuing resolutions? Uh, Do the Democrats simply have to acknowledge that the Republicans have the votes and it's going to have to be a lot of give and take? It's going to be a lot of give and take. Um, uh, what, What they have is command of the gavel. Um, and until we win back any of the branches of government, whether it is the House, the Senate, or the presidency, we we don't decide what comes up to the vote. And and unfortunately, our you know we we can't force that. What we do have is that in the Senate they need sixty votes, so they do need some Democrats to go along with them. Um, and we have a good uh, bargaining position there, I believe. Uh, and so we are pushing for things in the budget deal that we want, such as money for community health centers, very critical here in Chicago. We're Community health centers are often the only health care providers in many of our neighborhoods. Uh, we need money for uh, rural hospitals uh, that, uh, that need the federal dollars. We have to fix the pension issue for our central state pensioners as well. So, uh, And off, of course, money for the Department of Veterans Affairs. That was not in the CR. And so let's make sure we take care of veterans. So there's a lot of these things that we have to take care of that are uh, key negotiating points for Democrats. And we can use our leverage that they do need our votes. Um, and they need our votes to lift the budget caps for defense spending as well. Do you think that the uh, the Congress is going to get involved in the conflict right now between the Justice Department and the cities that are so-called sanctuary cities, or as Mayor Emanuel likes to call them, welcoming cities, uh, whatever euphemism you want to use for them, it's still, uh, you've got a Justice Department and a, uh, yeah, an Attorney General who says people who run those cities should be charged with a crime. Well, I disagree with that position, obviously, uh, and uh, I, th- I think that there are uh, m- pieces of legislation that are being worked on right now that would counter that. Uh, I don't know that it is actually legal for uh, the uh, Justice Department to withhold some of these dollars uh, in grant money for cities that are that are applying for them because there's nothing in the appropriation of those dollars to this, from Congress to the Justice Department that says one of the criteria they can use is whether or not a, a city is one that is the so-called sanctuary city. So that may just be downright illegal to begin with. And, and there are uh, laws Lawsuits that are in court right now, even even some here in uh, Illinois, Mm -hmm. uh, that would perhaps decide that. Um, Let's turn to your recent travels. Yes. And I noted the longest time you have been away from your your daughter, uh, Abigail. but uh, you were in uh, Korea. What did you see on your trip to Asia with uh, Arizona Congressman Ruben Gallego yes. that uh, increased your concerns about more hostilities I- with North Korea? Well, I already knew from uh, letters from the Joint Chiefs of Staff who said that uh, in order to secure the nuclear weapons in North Korea the way the president said he wants them secured, it would take a ground invasion, 100,000 troops, with a resulting 20 million casualties on both sides of the border. This is in the letter uh, in response to my question and and, and Congressman Gallego's questioning uh, to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So I knew that that was sort of the, the starting point for looking at what the situation was. 
was. What was alarming to me was when I got to Korea and then I went up to the DMZ and then later I went to Japan to talk with leaders there is the fact that um, uh, just to secure the non-nuclear weaponry that's on the nor- on, uh, in North Korea, the, the artillery pieces would also take a ground invasion. And 100,000 uh, uh, wounded or killed in the initial week of artillery barrage on the city of Seoul, which is only 30 miles away from the DMZ, and uh, resulting 10,000 casualties every day after that. And this is not just Korean nationals, but there are hundreds of thousands of Americans uh, who live in Seoul, uh, and, and folks from all different other nationalities also live there. This is an international issue. And so for me, what was alarming was, was that it's not just a ground invasion to secure nuclear weapons, traditional weapons are also a threat. Um, Is it reasonable to think that when the administration and even Mm -hmm. the president see what the cost would be, that they will automatically say, oh, well, we can't do that? I mean, do you have any confidence that that people seeing that will back off and say that's not the route we're going to go? Well, I would hope so, but I don't think that that's what our president sees. I, I certainly not. It's not reflected in his actions. Uh, I almost feel like he's goading Kim Jong Un into a war, um, uh, and I really think it's an irresponsible and reckless. A pattern of behavior for the commander-in-chief of the greatest military on the face of the earth, the United States, to have a president who's engaging in rhetoric about the size of nuclear buttons and all of this and, and, and these verbal fights with Kim Jong-un, um, when what we should really be doing is working to take away the resources that he needs to build this nuclear arsenal. Uh, he can't build that without money, and that's why we need to make sure that we really redouble the sanction efforts, which, by the way, as I've talked to both military and uh, civilian leaders, uh, American, Korean, South Korean, and Japanese have said have started to take effect. And they said, whatever you do, please give us the time, buy us the time for these sanctions to take greater effect, because they're starting to um, uh, restrict the flow of money that he has in order to to invest in this nuclear program. Are you seriously concerned about a preemptive strike by the United States? I'm very concerned. And I think that our military from everything that I've looked at uh, has turned the corner uh, where they, you know, may have thought previously that uh, they could prevent the White House from making this decision to now they are preparing uh, to go to war. And with the with with a. you know, this is my reading of their of, of the actions that they've taken, that I think our military has decided that it's inevitable that this president is going to do something. And if he does, they better be ready. So they have really uh, double and tripled their efforts uh, in terms of readiness on the Korean Peninsula. Everything from uh, uh, ship movements, uh, 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 both submarines and uh, aircraft carriers, to um, uh, uh, what they're doing on the peninsula itself to prepare for war. Um, our men and women in uniform are amazing and fantastic, and so they're being the professional military that they are, which is, okay, th- you know, if he's going to send us, then we better be ready. We can't be get caught you know, rocked back on our heels. We better be forward-leaning. And that's a scary thought. I don't think American people realize that. Mm. Um, What hope do you take, if any, from on the the peninsula itself uh, Mm -hmm. uh, that the North and South have an agreement to send a joint team to the Olympics? 
which may seem like a, you know a small thing, but right. sometimes these things aren't small. Well, so I have a little bit of hope, and it also comes from the discussions I had in uh, both uh, Korea and Japan. Um, uh, nobody that I talked to was under any naive belief that North Korea is not continuing to pursue their nuclear weapons program, even as they participate in this talk, even as the Olympics hap- are, are happening. Um, so they, everybody is realistically realizing that, that Kim Jong-un is continuing to do that. But... The fact that he is sending these folks, the fact that they are engaging means more contact and also a delay in any action that he might take. So he's not going to launch these nuclear weapons. He's not going to launch, uh, do another test while the Olympics are going on. So that buys us another month. So what I heard from the people on the ground really reflected what General Mattis said to the Democratic Senator, Secretary Mattis, when he came to talk to us. He said, look, our job is to hold the peace for one more day. So diplomats can do their job. Our job in the military is to hold the peace so that the sanctions can work for another day. And that's the, the feeling I get from the folks on the ground. They're like, just, just hold the peace for another day and, and let the sanctions take effect. Let us keep working on this. But nobody there thinks that Kim Jong-un is abandoning his nuclear program just because he sends figure skaters to the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. Uh, my guest is U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth. And we are recording this interview in Bronzeville at the Chicago uh, Military Academy. So if you hear every once in a while... Yes bells and tones and sometimes voices that's what that is it's a school um but apparently it's quiet school <laughs> military schools are not as noisy as other schools they're very well disciplined mm-hmm. yes <laughs> um but speaking of children <laughs> who yes. are at this school i do want to talk to you about uh yeah, how do you feel about all the talk about you making history as the first senator to uh to have a baby let me just say how surprised I was that people really seized on this news. I thought that, you know, I would just mention it in a very low-key way and with the budget fight and everything that was going on, it would sort of fly under the radar and it would be a non-event. I've been very surprised that it's such a big deal. And it's unfortunate because it's the 21st century. It shouldn't be a big deal that I'm having a baby. It shouldn't be a big deal that a, a senator is having a baby because it should be common. And unfortunately, it's not. Well, d- does it have something to do with the fact that, <laughs> frankly, there haven't been a whole lot of uh, female U.S. senators? Yeah, there have been none. Um, uh, but that's, <laughs> well, that's the problem, that's the, well, right? Well, there are some now. Well, there's, uh, there have been none who have given birth. Yeah, well, but, well, but I mean, though, yeah, that, yeah, there's 22 that, uh, of us. women in general. They're, mm-hmm. they're, yeah, there are 22 senators now, the, lar- the most that we've ever had in our nation's history. It should be 50. Yeah, there's 100 yeah. senators. It should be 50. Actually, 51, because that's more. There's 51 more percent more women than men in this country. But yes. But that. that <laughs> but and I th- wonder if that's not the one of the reasons why there's been so much yes. excitement because uh, all the things that this phenomenon mm-hmm. uh, or this miracle mm-hmm. uh, touches on uh, has to do with with women's issues and things that women face every day. You've been very open about yeah. your your struggles with fertility. Yes. Um, and people don't hear that talked about mm-hmm. all that much. Um, what are you hoping, if you are hoping anything in particular, that women and men take away from hearing these discussions that we don't hear? Well, I think that 
it's important to normalize my experience because it is a normal experience for women and for families in this country. Uh, uh, we are not a country where uh, uh, only one person in a family is the breadwinner and one person stays home. We can't. Most families can't afford that. They need both parents to be working. And and if that's the case, then we need to do a better job of supporting our our working families. And we have not. And so. I, I, it's it's interesting that what's news making about this is how ordinary this is. I'm not the first working mom. I'm not the my husband and I are not the first working family to struggle, um, and I'm not the first woman by any means who put off her fertility uh, while she pursued her career in, in during her most fertile years of her 20s and early 30s. You know, and I looked up uh, as I was sort of checking the gates in my military career, uh, uh, marching forward to, towards becoming a company commander and then all of the steps there um, where I said, well, I can't get pregnant now. I'm a platoon leader and oh, now, I'm the, you know, and I do that for a couple of years. So, you know, I can't, I can't put this off now because I've got a deployment coming. I can't go have a baby now because I'm now the, I'm now the commander uh, of B Company at Chicago Midway for three years, you know, and, and next thing I know, I'm 36 years old and then I get wounded in Iraq. And then I look up and I'm 40 years old. I'm not the first woman to look up at 40 and realize what happened to my fertile years. Mm -hmm. That is unfortunately a common experience in this country. And it's too common because we don't have good family leave policy. We have to have universal family leave policy so that uh, working women can take the time off without it hurting their careers and their family's financial viability to pursue a family so that they can continue forward. And this is not just a women's issue. It's a family and economic competitiveness issue. And we're far behind the rest of the developed world. And is there any sign that you see on Capitol Hill that we're going to move further? I mean, mm -hmm. th th this has been talked about for a while now. Yet, yes, yeah. there are more women on Capitol Hill than ever. Mm -hmm. But are the guys listening? I think they are, but we have to push it more. And I, I think a good example is what's happening in the military. For example, uh, when I had my daughter, uh, I found out that military women at the time only got six weeks of maternity leave, which means that if they were going to Afghanistan, uh, they had to leave a six-week-old infant, even if they themselves had had a cesarean, and report to duty in Afghanistan six weeks after giving birth. Um, and and so I worked with not just women, uh, congresswomen, but also congressmen and pushed hard. And the DOD has changed their policy now. And we made sure that they extended it not just to heterosexual couples, but that um, it would apply to uh, 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 now that we have uh, ended Don't Ask, Don't Tell, uh, same-sex couples as well. If you're, if you, you know, if you are adopting a child, that child didn't didn't ask to be adopted by any particular family, and and so a, a newborn that's adopted by two men or two women deserve their parents as much as a newborn who has been given birth to one of the, by one of those parents. And so we've changed, seen that change happen already with the military. It's not where it should be, but it's much better than where it was. And we can do this in this society. We can do this in this country. But we have to keep pushing, and I intend to keep pushing along with my colleagues. Yeah, do the do the women and. I, I assume the women in the Senate mm -hmm. do talk to each other, but I mean, but is there even talk between the Senate and the House and the women in the House of of this new strength mm -hmm. that you have, the, the this new ability to raise a, a, a louder and and more insistent voice? There is, uh, but 
but it still is slow to change. We have to get more men on board and we have to get more women into office. So that's why 2018 is so critical to get more women elected into office on both sides of the aisle. In fact, it is the bipartisan group of women senators who really push through a lot of legislation. Uh, and so we can we can make this difference. Uh, and I'll give you something as simple as who controls the House of Representatives. Until Nancy Pelosi became speaker, children were not allowed on the floor of the house and and she inst- instituted a program a, 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 a rule when she became speaker to allow children up to age of 12 onto the floor of the house that rule doesn't exist in the senate so when i have this child and i'm breastfeeding and i have to come in for a vote where do i leave my child in the hallway I can't carry an infant in a carrier in so that i can cast my vote and i, I can't cast my vote from any place but on the floor and so these, some, even something like that, you know, who controls the gavel, who can change the rules is important. So, so is, is somebody putting a bill in <laughs> on that? Well, I, I actually am going to be working. Uh, I've already reached out to Senator Amy Klobuchar, who is the ranking member on the Senate um, administration uh, uh, committee to say, hey, um, you know, when I have my daughter and whether I'm breastfeeding or, fe- or bottle feeding her, however it turns out, and I have to vote, I I'm not allowed to leave my child with a staff member because that's a conflict of interest, but I can't just leave a baby on the bench outside <laughs> while I go in to vote. We have to do something. Leader Pelosi fixed that on the House side when she became Speaker, and thank goodness Speaker Boehner and then Speaker Ryan have continued that. But so these are some of the things that has to do with we have to get more women into the halls of power. Mm-hmm. But are there still men who will look at that as they do in the corporate world and yeah. say, you know what? That's a choice that people have to make. And if you want to be move up in the corporate world, then you ought to be prepared to make the sacrifices that you have to make. And my answer to them is that is a foolish business decision because you will not attract the brightest people to come to work for you. And you will lose out on those employees. And the people uh, in Fortune 500 companies have said time and again that uh, employee turnover is lower when they have better uh, benefits like more extensive family leave policies and that they have uh, better uh, 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 young rising talent who w- they can attract better to come to work for them when they have more generous policies. So I say to that dinosaur, well, number one, you're making a really bad business decision because you're now going to take yourself out of the running for some of the brightest and best minds in the country. Uh, and number two, it's a 21st century. Get on board. Um, You would probably throw something at me if I got out of this half hour without asking anything about uh, veterans issues. Uh, What's at the forefront now? I mean, we've let so much noise Mm -hmm. about so many other things cloud over the... The yeah. you know the issues facing our, our service people. What's the top of the agenda right now? Well, I'm always have I always have several things going at the same time. Uh, uh, one of the things that's my top priority right now is reforming the Veterans Choice Program, which was a program that was put into place just a couple of years ago to give veterans the ability to go to a provider outside of VA. Um, so I'll give you an example. I am I participated in Veterans Choice because uh, uh, while VA has a women's health clinic, they don't have an upstream department. So I go to Northwestern um, through the Veterans Choice programs. VA sends me there so I can get an outside provider to care for uh, you know, my pregnancy, for example. Um, that program is deeply flawed and doesn't work very well. And in fact, when I had Abigail, I actually went into collections because it wasn't paying its bills. Um, and, and so if... Uh, and, and through that process, I realized how poor 
poorly run the program. And so that is the number one priority to get fixed. We have to also work on women's health within the VA. Um, um, there are all sorts of issues. So you might get an veterans. obstetrics department. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we might get, but but really, you know, there's not enough female veterans to to justify a, an obstetrics department. I'd rather them they be able to go to their doctor that they need yeah. to, while still having their health monitored at VA, like like I do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's some issues with prosthetics parity, and then of course with our veterans homes here in Illinois with the Quincy Veterans yes. Home with uh, the Legionnaires' disease and and uh, outbreak there. That's a state issue, but it, but all of those facilities get federal VA dollars and so I'm going to work hard with Senator Durbin to try to bring some federal dollars to repair the facilities at Quincy and then also to provide greater oversight for how that home is run. And believe it or not, that is going to be the uh, last word. This half half hours with you always go very quickly, I find. It's a lot of fun. Uh, But we'll have to do more of them, that's all. Thank you. Uh, That is U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth. Thank you for spending this time with us. Uh, We are here at the Chicago Military Academy. Now, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. People who've been following around probably realize our news, uh, these things have changed a little bit, so listen carefully. Uh, But still follow the audio links, and you can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105. Point nine FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.